Howdy, y'all. Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. My name is Ben Fields. This is my podcast. Glad you guys are here. I have uh, my friend Kent Takano on the show today. Kent is a uh, television producer. He's been around for 30 some odd years. Uh, he's been doing it for a long time. He's very good at it. Uh, we work together on uh, a lot of things uh, in the television programming world, especially here recently. Kent has done a lot of very thoughtful writing lately uh, on you know, the tragedies that happened in Atlanta at the Asian day spas. And, uh, you know, whether or not that stuff, you know, people say it was racially motivated. People say it wasn't racially motivated. Not here to debate that at all. Uh, but what it has done, I think, is it has shed a little light, I think, on uh, a little bit of the silent racism that Asian Americans have been seeing for a long time. Kent's parents were both interned at the uh, internment camps following World War II uh, that a lot of the Japanese-American citizens were uh, taken to uh, under the guise of protecting our country and protecting them themselves from retaliation. So it was super fascinating stuff and uh, something that uh, we think is really important right now to hear. Hope you guys enjoy it. Here we go. Kent Takano. We're doing the podcast. Learned how to do that. Ah, that's pretty good. <laughs> I just right? learned last week. <laughs> Ken, thanks for being here, man. I've I've wanted to have you over for for quite some time. So, oh, absolutely. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I think it's a. I don't know. I think it's an important time. I've been reading some some of the stuff that you've written lately. That's resonated with me a lot. And I've always I've wanted to have you over here to talk about the TV industry because you've had a prolific career in in TV and all that. But ever since the Atlanta spa shootings happened. I've I've been reading some of your stuff and it's just it's just made me think a lot and I feel like maybe some some 35-year-old white guys like me may not know the kind of the racism that has kind of been underlying in the with the Asian community for a long time. I think a lot of you know our focus rightly or wrongly uh towards racism is is black versus white, hate crimes and things like that. But it seems like from reading some of the stuff that you've written that the Asian community has been quietly dealing with the issue of racism in America for a long time. A lot of people might not know about it. Yeah, no, I, that's a that's a really good way to position that. Um, you know, we when I say we, sometimes I, I'm talking about Japanese Americans, sometimes I'm talking about just Asian Americans right. in general. But I think we as a whole, Asian Americans, um, right, rightly or wrongly, have always tried to assimilate into this country. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, sometimes you sacrifice your own voice. You know, mm -hmm. you sacrifice um, sort of your individuality and, and, and you assimilate because you want to be accepted because you know you look different, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not in any way comparing our experience to what black Americans have gone through, mm -hmm. through slavery and, you know, centuries of that. So <clears throat> that being said, we've always been taught uh, I mean, even now when speaking for the Japanese American, the, the Japanese culture is always about not ever putting yourself first. You know, it's mm -hmm. always about putting the family first, about putting the community first. So you never want to do anything to embarrass your family. So what happens is you have what what is kind of wrapped in a nice little bow. They call it the model minority, 
right? Mm-hmm. You're you're kind of put in this little box where you are expected not only by the larger quote unquote white community, but also by the Asian community to kind of know your place. That hey, you know what? If you f up, we all f up. Yeah. We're all looked at, you know, in a bad way. Mm-hmm. So. So you have a, a larger responsibility. And I think what's happened is not, well, obviously with the Atlanta shootings, that, that really kind of, and, and we don't even know what that, the motive is there yet. Right. But even before then, there've always been, you know, since World War II, especially, um, there's also the, the sense of you need to prove who you are, yet at the same time, you need to know your place. And mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, the Asian American community has accepted that. Um, but call it the perfect storm with politics, with gun control issues, with a lot of stuff that's going on right now. It all sort of came to a head, mm. you know, recently. And uh, and I'm all about putting a spotlight on, hey, this isn't fair. But 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 I think Asian Americans need to take responsibility for th- their silence as mm. well. So. Um, and I'm the last person. Again, I'm a third generation Japanese American. So, you know, I, you know, my we've talked about this, Ben. That you know, my my parents and grandparents went through you know internment camps. So I I can't even relate to what that was like for them. Um, but I also think that we all we as a community, Asian American community, have to be really careful when it comes to calling out the race card. Mm. Um, there are things that happen, you know, I'm, I've been here 20 years, which is kind of frightening. It's a, you know, it's, it's a long time to be anywhere. In Knoxville? In Knoxville, yeah. And uh, originally from the West Coast. And um, a lot of things have happened to me here that have just been sort of a result of just ignorance. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but in a way that it's, they haven't been exposed to an Asian maybe without an accent. Right. Right. Or mm. an Asian who's not in science mm. or, a you know, or a professor or, a, you know, a nuclear person up in Oak Ridge. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm from the West Coast, third generation speak, you know, English is my first and only language. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I've experienced not only that, quote unquote, friendly ignorance, <laughs> but also on the other side of the spectrum, you know, overt racism. But but it's not just been in East Tennessee. I mean, in I lived in Sacramento for six years. You drive 20 minutes outside of Sacramento, which is the state capital. Yeah. And it's it's not good. There's you know? there's hicks everywhere. <laughs> People don't realize that. They think they're relegated to the South. But you just have to drive, you know, everywhere. rural communities everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and in fact I I remember um when I first moved here, uh, my next door neighbor, uh, her boyfriend was like, hey, you know, uh, I'm, I'm good friends with Chad Pennington. He's going to be speaking up in halls, you know, blah, 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 blah. He goes, you want to go with me? I said, yeah, it'd be great. And I made sort of an offhanded comment. I go, is it okay? If, is it safe for someone like me to walk into a halls community, community center? He goes, and he looked at me and he said, you know, I hadn't thought about that. He goes, maybe not. Really? Yeah. And how long ago was this? It was probably 15 years ago. Yeah. Chad yeah. Pennington's quarterback of the New York Jets, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Is and, that he, his name? and yeah, and he went to Webb. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so he was coming back and it was just sort of a kumbaya community mm-hmm. moment, whatever, whatever. And, and I was like, yeah, that'd be fun. But then because I brought it up and, and it, kudos to him for not seeing that I was, that I may be out of place. But when I brought it up, I think he went, wow. Yeah. 15 you minutes know? north of here. <laughs> right. So, you know, I mean, and I, again, maybe he was being 
overly cautious, but I also I also appreciated his level of concern. <laughs> Did you go? I didn't go. Really? No, I didn't go. I mean, you know, again, it's I don't venture too far out um, just because, you yeah. know, and, and I think that's part of it's in our DNA mm. because, again, you know, like I said, in Sacramento, where I lived for a while, um, I didn't expect it and it happened there. You know, so wow. those are the kind of things where, you know, so I'm in East Tennessee. Well, those same safety, you know, mm-hmm. triggers are are still alive and well. <laughs> Did you think about that before you moved here? I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, part of me thought that I was going to be here for two or three years, to ah. be honest. I came out here for HGTV and I thought, put that on my resume. You know, yeah. this is going to be great. Work for a network. Uh, and I just fell in love with the place. Yeah. And... So part of me looking back was probably blissfully ignorant. Mm-hmm. But oh, I'll only be there two or three years. No big I can deal with anything for I can that deal long. with anything. I'm gonna be working my butt off. It doesn't yeah. really matter. You know, yeah. I'll be in the office ten hours a day, so it doesn't, you know, whatever, whatever. And and you know, I've I've created such a nice network of friends here. Um uh, and and we all sort of are are on the inside joke when something does happen to me and they're around. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it's just, it's funny, you yeah. know what I mean? But it's, but it also, if, if that person has ill intentions, it still kind of comes from the same place of just, you know, looking different. What has that happened recently? Ill intentioned, uh, yeah. racism rather than ignorance. Yeah. Um, gosh, it was, I guess it was right before the holidays. I was on Kingston Pike over there. It was I forgot the name of the, the gas station. It's over there by Trader Joe's, mm-hmm. um, by by the mall, mm-hmm. um, filling up gas. Got a bunch of kids driving by, yelling "chink," you know, mm. stuff like that. Yeah, you know, um, it sucks, man. Yeah, I mean, it does. Does it you know, hurt your feelings when that happens? It makes me mad. Really, it doesn't. You know, and I don't even. Maybe the feelings part me, but I don't. Maybe emotionally, I don't go there, right? Because I don't want to think that they're going to affect me that way. Right. But I just stepped out and I walked over to the sidewalk. Like, you know, there were three guys in the, I, mean, I don't know, they would beat the crap out of me, sure. but you know, but it was like, you know, I was supposed to basically stand up to their cowardice. You're going to be in a car and you're going to yell that. Yeah. Well, I'm going to at least stand up, <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. not going to look the other way. So. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it seems like the, since the coronavirus and the, you know, the narrative coming from, the White House, yes. you know, was that it was, right. you know, the Chinese virus, yeah. the Kung flu. Yeah. I yeah. mean, did you notice, um, did you notice an uptick in intolerance around that time? Of intolerance? Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, part of me goes, well, you know, they called it the Spanish flu back in the day, right? A hundred yeah. years ago. Okay. But when we have someone in office who was basically embarrassed by the tariffs that he imposed on China, there was, you know, there was no upshot to, to him doing that um, and made, I'm being political here, but made the president look bad. Mm-hmm. He was more than happy to call it China virus. And then when he went to Kung flu, then it was basically mocking mm. China. Yeah. yeah. And did he intend to mock Chinese Americans? I don't think so. I'll give him that benefit of the right. doubt. And I don't give him a whole lot of benefit of the doubt, but- you have to understand, as president of the United States, with a huge Asian American community, that's going to trigger some people into being angry. Yeah. You know, being you know from both sides of that equation. But 
Um, but yeah, no, I, absolutely, there was an uptick. Really? Yeah, especially on the on the coast where you don't expect it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle was really bad. Portland. Um, so yeah, I mean, it you know even New York, but yeah, I mean. It went up what 150 percent last year, just in hate yeah. crimes. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I noticed uh, in in New York was you know even higher. I think they yeah. had they you know yeah. for what they what they designated as hate crimes against Asian Americans uh, in the previous year. Yeah. Then last year, I think it was in the 20s. Right. You know. Yeah, it, and we're talking violent ones. Yeah, vi- violent yeah. hate yeah, crimes. Yeah, yeah, not you know yeah. I'm going to yell something from a car. It's, right. It's, yeah, I mean, you know, coming, and, you know, and they attack the elderly and the people who are defenseless. And right. again, it's it speaks to that small fringe, right? Yeah. And and I know, you know, I'm not stupid when it comes to the fact that I know people talk behind closed doors. And you know what? You can't stop that. All you can do is educate and move on. But when it takes, you know, form of physical. Yeah. You know, retaliation or physical violence against somebody who is absolutely defenseless. I mean, there was an attack on the subway in New York two, three days ago, beat the living crap out of this, you know, 80 year old man and he's in a coma, you know? Really? Yeah. And it's like, you're on a subway in New York, you know, there are witnesses, Yeah, you know, and these, you know, anyway, it just, it just, it's frustrating. And and there have been many, many, you know, in Oakland, um, there was one guy who attacked three seniors. Um, and again, Oakland is huge Chinese-American yeah. population. Right. So these people are brazen about it, yep. you know, and um, and he did it right on the fringe of Chinatown. It wasn't, and they caught him. So, um, but yeah, anyway, it's, it's, there are many, many, many incidences. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, if people are going to be, you know, racist or bigoted in their own in their own mind, you know, that's that's not good. But, you know, take going and, and, and harming someone else because yeah. of those convictions, that's a step. That's that's way too far. Right. Yeah. So you grew up in California, yes. and you, but you said you're a third generation right. Japanese American. Right. So does that mean your, your grandfather immigrated here? Yes. OK, exactly. Yeah, so you- how'd that work out? Where did he come from? He came from um, he came from Fukuoka, Japan. Uh, he arrived in the Bay Area, uh, not knowing exactly what he was going to do. You know, um, he was just looking for, as most immigrants, you know, something to better himself. You know, and and to maybe start a family. He wasn't yeah. sure. Um, this was back in the 1910s, um, and uh, he was in the Bay Area and he was just working at a nursery um, and also doing some consultation for people who wanted to start gardens. And and um, then he met my grandmother on a blind date um, <laughs> who came from Japan because she wanted to come to San Francisco to learn English. Wow. And, uh, and she had a sister in the Bay Area, so it was kind of an easy thing for her to do to come over and she thought she'd be here for a couple of years. But then her sister moved back to Japan um, she stayed with this new gardener. So she she met. With this, yeah. And they date, I think they dated about three or four years. She was not in love with him. He loved her yeah. and then finally won her over. Um, and then he realized, well, now I have someone to support. Mm. And, uh, so he, you know, he, because of his botany, hands-on botany, um, experience, he did what a lot of non English speaking people did and they became gardeners, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, it was not only the non English speaking, well, that was a big part of it, but the other part of it was, 
you know, there was a lot of discrimination back in the early 1900s, as you can imagine. So yeah. a lot of these people um, who didn't look Caucasian, you know, they were not let, they were not allowed to work in certain establishments. Right. So, so he took the path of least resistance yep. to make money. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, he actually, um, you know, he, gosh, he was a gardener. I think until he was eighty-five. Wow. To be honest, yeah. So wow, he lived a while. So you got, so you knew your grandfather. I did. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. He uh, he passed away when he was at ninety-two. So, wow. Um, yeah, I think he uh, had one too many car accidents. <laughs> really? <laughs> As he was driving his uh, gardening route, and then I think it was finally time to hang it up. <laughs> Uh, so so why uh, why did he immigrate over? Was he just looking for a for a better way? What was going on in Japan that's, at the time? Uh, you know what? That's a good question. <laughs> I um, I think he, you know, again, you know, the the U.S. You know, I think we're sometimes blind to the fact that the world sees the U.S. as this melting pot, mm -hmm. as this place of opportunity, and I think he just got caught up in that. And I believe he had like four or five siblings, yep. and he was the youngest of them. Gotcha. So. He thought, well, heck, you know, they're getting all the attention, you know, as a young sibling would. They're like, I'm going to do my own thing. And I don't know if he intended to stay here, mm. uh, but he did. Yeah. Yeah. So then your dad was born at some point. Dad was born in, in San Francisco. Yeah. The Bay okay. Area. Um, little town called Alameda where I was born and raised um, gotcha. right across the Bay from San Francisco. Yeah. He, What'd your uh, dad do? He worked uh, for the airlines. He oh, nice. was a uh, uh, senior vice president of sales and marketing for Hawaiian Airlines. Um, before that, I mean, he was in sales. He worked in Hawaii for a import-export company. Um, he also became best friends with the owner at the time. Um, when was this? The 1940s, 50s? Oh gosh, uh, let's see, 32. So let's see, 50s, probably the late 50s. Yeah, late 50s, late 50s and then uh, early 60s is uh, when he hooked up with the airlines. Well, I mean that, you know, I bet your grandfather had to be so proud, you know, to, to, to immigrate and then have such a successful son, yeah. your, your father. And I mean, sure it was, it took 30 years or, or however long, 40 years, but I mean, that's how you draw it up. Right. That's why, he, that's why he came. Exactly. No, <laughs> right on point. I, yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, um, yeah, my grandfather spoke very little English. My grandmother spoke a little bit more English. Um, I, I just read a funny anecdote that uh, the reason why they didn't really learn English was because they didn't want their kids to learn broken English. Really? So they spoke. So they also, so they, they said, well, you kids are going to learn English in school. Right. So why, if you're going to teach us English, that's fine, but we can only teach you bad English. So that's, let's, so let's speak Japanese in the house. Yeah. And so that's one step ahead. Thinking right. one step ahead, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So your dad spoke Japanese and English. Yes. So he learned Japanese at home and then in school right. learned perfect English, I guess. Yeah. 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 Perfect English. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So you were born in Alameda? Born in Oakland, with, in right Oakland. next door to Alameda. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, went to Alameda High School. Um, what were you into? In high school sports. What's I well, into? I mean, girls, right? But uh, like <laughs> sports or are we in the arts or, or um, what? sports? I love sports. I played, um, uh, I went out for the JV basketball team. Didn't make it. Um, got really close as you know, anybody who get who gets cut says, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> um, but no, just, yeah. sports music, uh, a lot of R and B, a little bit of rock. Um, 
Yeah. So what what was what was Oakland Oakland like at this time? Oakland Alameda. Yeah. Um, Oakland, yeah. Oakland Alameda. Yeah. Alameda was you know Alameda is a naval. Um, it's the Alameda Naval Air Station is on one end of it's a little island actually uh, Alameda it's it's about three and a half miles long, and um, so that side had a lot more Asian Americans because there a lot of Filipino Americans were part of the military. Gotcha. Um, and our side of the island was, I'm you know I'm guessing grasping here. It was maybe five percent minority, maybe. Gotcha. Um, so we were you know much more in, in a Caucasian world, I guess, on our side of the yeah. island. Uh, there were only two high schools in the uh, in Alameda. So, but yeah, I mean, it was very. Um, whenever people come to Alameda, even now, they go, "Wow, this place is sort of stopped in time." Really? Yeah. I mean, it's just. I mean, they've updated it somewhat, but it's sort of. Because it's an island, it can only grow so much. Yeah, you know, natural boundaries. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, very much natural boundaries, and 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 because the Bay Area has gotten so expensive, again, people aren't flooding into Alameda because you know you can't. It's it's hard to afford it. Mm. Most people move out because they can get more for their money. So so Alameda's kind of has always stayed a little bit stagnant, um, but in a good way. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So when we were, you know, the. The last time I got on an airplane uh, to go on a shoot, uh, other than a couple weeks ago, the, the the last time before the virus started, you and I were working together, <laughs> right? In uh, in Portland, Maine, is uh-huh. that right? Exactly. And me and Rebecca Ridner talked about it when she was here a few weeks ago, but I remember you and I had a conversation over a beer after a, a long day of shooting, and it was really when I felt like I got to know about you and about your you know your family history and all that, and. Um, we talked about, you know, the, the, the post-World War II, uh, your father living, you know, through that time mm-hmm. in America and right. kind of the um, – America is, is, is not very proud of, of the way that they behaved after uh, that time towards Japanese Americans. But um, your dad was in the camps, right? The internment yeah. camps. Both my parents, yeah. Both your parents yeah. were. Um, I mean, anybody on the West Coast. Pretty right. much was evacuated. So, 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 how did it go historically? Pearl Harbor happened, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, December seventh, nineteen forty-one. Yep. And then, how long after that till they started uh, rounding up the uh, the Japanese American citizens? By the way, yeah, right. You know, yeah, n- n- not, not people work on visas, right. For right. Citizens, right? Exactly, American um, citizens. It was. I think it was a matter of months. Really? Yeah, it was a matter of months. And um, they did this under the pretense of protecting them, right? Under the pretense of protecting them, and then they also uh, Roosevelt also said that the West Coast was considered, and I, I might have the phraseology wrong, but I believe he called it a war territory. Really? So there was some proclamation that gave him the right to do this. Mm. Um, he know, designated it a you know a, the war territory or right whatever. because the West Coast was closest to Japan. Right. Um, you know, there were people like my grandfather who spoke mostly Japanese. There was a paranoia that people like my grandfather was speaking somehow to Japanese. Right. I mean, my freaking grandfather's pushing a lawnmower. He's not right. a spy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. Uh, there was a big espionage uh, paranoia. Yes. Very much for so. For the American government. Yeah. Toward Japanese Americans. And after the war, they they – went back and they looked at everybody who was charged with espionage and zero people were convicted. So, so there was really no basis other than we don't understand your language. Um, you look different. 
Um, we just got the shit bombed out of us by your right country, by your country. Yeah. And even though you're Americans, you know, we're going to, we're going to take everything away. And, and the, you know, the problem there, and I think the lingering, a lot of the lingering issues with, you know, my, my parents have been unbelievable. Whenever we want to talk about the camps, they will, they do it he- sort of in the beginning, it was a lot of hesitancy because they didn't, I don't think they thought we'd understand, but I think right. as, as we've gotten older, uh, but again, that generation is more about looking forward right. um, because they don't believe there's a whole lot of good in looking back because mm-hmm. not a lot of good happened when they were young. Um, and so I think they've inspired us to, you know, just basically, hey, shake it off and, and move on. Um Oh, where was I going with that? Um, so, were your your parents were married at the time when this? When no, no, they, they were young. They were young. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, my dad, I think, was eight, and my okay. mom was five. Okay, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, and you know, they didn't know each other. Um, but a few years ago, we actually took my dad and my his older sister, my aunt, to this little camp. It was not little, I guess, um, in Colorado, and. Uh, was about three hours south of Denver. Is that where they were? That's where they were. Together, and brother together. and sister? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and the state of Colorado has designated it a, you know, a, a site of, of, of preservation. Yeah. And so they've, they actually have high schools who actually help, um, their archaeology schools actually help um, dig up artifacts that have been left. And it's, it's fascinating. I bet it is. Yeah. It's really neat. And yeah. there's only a couple of shacks that are still around, but after the war, they just tore everything down and said, whoops, let's erase this from <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I mean, kind of, yeah. um, were your, were your grandparents not considered a, th- a threat because of their age or were they also in, uh, interned? Oh, they were interned. They were. Oh yeah. Every, the whole family. Yeah. Everybody. Okay. So, so yeah. uh, infants oh, all the way to grandparents. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, um, to, know, but together they didn't split anybody up. Yes. Okay. Um, so your your dad goes to to Denver with your grandfather, right. grandmother, and his sister. Right. Four of them. And then your mom is where at this time? Uh, she was at a a, um, a camp called Topaz, and she was and she was one of eight siblings. But all you know, all in, I think there were one hundred ten thousand Japanese Americans who were who were taken away. Um, the ripple effect to all of that, and I know we're getting away from today's racism, but but the ripple effect to all of that was if you owned anything, whether it was a business or a store or even a car, and you had payments, if you were uprooted and taken away, you couldn't make those payments. Right. So, so you know, you defaulted on whatever loan you had or whatever you know mortgage you had. Right. And so, so there's a lot of collateral damage here to yeah. to, to what's happening. So everything was was taken away, Two. and so, yeah. So that was tough. I bet. Yeah. But then, guys like Bob Fletcher. Um, guys like Bob Fletcher. Yeah. In What's Sacramento. that story all yeah, about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for reading that. Um, yeah. yeah. Bob Fletcher was one of the sort of I think one of the angels. Um, he was a agriculture agricultural inspector in the Sacramento area, and. Um, he knew a lot of the farmers in there because Sacramento Valley is one of the biggest agricultural areas in the entire world. And um, one of his neighbors, who was a farmer, asked him to oversee the land of some of the family friends who owned a lot of peach orchards and apple orchards. And 
And uh, so he quit his job and he said, okay, I'll do it. And it was like 90 acres. I mean, you know, it wasn't small. Yeah. And uh, so he did that for a living and they decided, you know, if you can pay our mortgage while we're in camp, we shouldn't be more than a couple of months, even though it turned out to be almost four years, um, you know, go ahead and split the profits and, you know, you can live on the land, do whatever you want to do. And, and to his credit, he continued to pay everyone's mortgage. He continued to make money. Um, and, and this so, is a white guy, right? A white guy, yeah. And he, so, so he's, is he kind of a neighbor of these? Yes. Of of these Japanese Americans that own a bunch of different farms, right? And so they said, hey, we're we're being swept away. Yeah. Can you watch watch? Right. Can you house sit for us while we're gone? Exactly. Exactly right. You know. Yeah. Do what you can. Do what you can, and and just, you know, and and again, I don't know all the details of of Mr. Fletcher, but for him to quit his job, he either did that because you know, he really believed in these farms or he really liked these people or right. he hated his job. I don't know, but he quit his existing job, which was a good job yeah. to do this. And after the war, when these three families came back, um, everything was intact. You really? Know? Yeah. I mean, he, I believe he continued to live on the land uh, in one of the houses, uh, with his daughter or with his family. Um, but he has always been seen, you know, I mean, there was an article in the New York Times about him uh, when he passed away. He was 101. But the Japanese community in the Central Valley of California have been nothing but, you know, they just hold him in such high esteem. Right. Yeah. Because without him, uh, they would have just lost their yeah, – lost everything won. they'd worked their lives for when exactly. they come back from the camps. They'd be yeah. starting from zero. Yeah. It would have – the banks would have foreclosed and they would have sold it again. Yeah. Right. So you said – Three to four years, your your family, yeah, uh, your dad's family was in was in uh, the camps, and your mom's too, I guess. Right, right. What what was it? What do you have any? I mean, I I don't know. You said that they don't really love to talk about it. Right. They'd rather look forward. Um, but did they give you any any anecdotes or any kind of idea of what life was like living? Yeah, in- you know, it's 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 that's such a great question. Um. They do in in fits and starts, and it's kind of for us to kind of put the pieces together in mm-hmm. these conversations um, because on one hand, their parents, my grandparents on both sides, again, this is the Japanese culture, is basically there's something called gaman, and gaman means sh- quit complaining, number uh-huh. one. Um, that's part of it. The other part of it is inner strength. Mm. So- if you complain about it, you're not showing inner strength, gotcha. right? So, so I don't know if they don't remember a lot because they were young, but I know Gaman has been a huge part of my upbringing. I'm Buddhist and it's a big part of the Buddhist upbringing. So culturally, um, they don't – I don't know if it's out of embarrassment or just out of like that feeling of – We don't need to talk about it because it doesn't do any good, right? Um, even though it's information for our generation, um, but yeah, I mean, they talk about school and they talk of they had scouts, you know, Boy Scouts, and they, you know, they, when they were there, when they were there, they had okay. even they even had like um, you know, baseball teams and things like that. So, yep. so they they try to have life as normal as possible, but knowing that. You know, they're living in these sheds in the middle of Colorado with no heat, right. you know, and you can imagine what 
the deserts of Colorado yeah. are like in the middle of January. Absolutely. So, um, so nothing was normal. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, uh, they talk about life after the camps more than they talk about camp life. Yeah. Um, which, which must mean it wasn't, you know, it wasn't great Yeah, because it doesn't sound like, uh, because of the the idea of gaman, there's right. a lot of complainers out there. <laughs> yeah. I think some Americans could, uh, could well, take a note out of that. Well, it, it's funny. I mean, it's 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 it is one of those things where, um, you know, I mean, here's a, an example of gaman. One of the first times I think I heard it as a child was when my grandmother passed away, and she had chronic arthritis for most of her life, for forty years of her life. Um, she had an open casket at the at the funeral, and my grandfather, who, I mean, was just this you know scrappy little dude. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine anyone ever like getting in a tussle with this guy because yeah. he was just tough. Um, but he leaned over into the casket, and he just held my grandmother's cheeks, and he just said, "Take care" in Japanese. Oh, it's like holy fuck, man! Christ. Right? I mean, I. I, I well up thinking about know, it, but but I re- I remember seeing that going. That is a type of inner strength that I can't even comprehend. I mean, they were married for fifty three, fifty four right. years, you know. So, but it, it, but that's you know, that's part of the Japanese culture, and and if you complain, you are considered sort of the weak link. Right. So you don't complain. And again, you're you're representing everybody, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. Representing yeah. the culture, yeah. so, <laughs> right. So that's yeah. that's something that uh, I really admire about other other cultures and even other other countries. In in some cases, they they don't feel like they're just representing themselves. They feel like they're they're standing to, to if they put their reputation at stake, they're putting the reputation of their you know their heritage or their sure. country um, yep. at stake. And and so you'll see, you know. People don't run red lights in Holland on their bicycle. You know, they stop because if they get hit by a car, it costs the state money, mm-hmm. you know, because it's socialized medicine and all yeah, that. That's yeah. just a little extrapolation of sure. that. But, yeah, yeah. but you know, I really like the mentality of, of you know, I'm, I'm representing more than just myself and my family here. I'm representing a right. you know, culture or heritage and, mm-hmm. and in, in some instances, a, a community or a state. Yeah. Can I tell you a really short story or, or try to Do it. keep it short? Do it. Um, after the war um, – my aunts who were, I'm guessing they were in their early teens. Um, you know, my grandfather was trying to find work. So, you know, he, he continued to garden, you know, Mm -hmm. because again, especially after the war, Japanese Americans were not really allowed inside businesses to work. So he, you know, went door to door, offered his services. This is your grandfather? Grandfather. Yeah. And so his two daughters, my, my aunts who are still alive, um, they're 92 and 90 right now. Love it. Yeah. Um, when they were, you know, early teens, they they figured that they need to make some money for the family as well. So um, so they went door to door with basically a, you know, mop bucket and sponge and cleanser and said, hey, can we clean your house? And so they would have, you know, two set charges, you know, for the house and for just the bathrooms. And two what? Two set fees. Oh, charges. gotcha. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I mean, I don't know exactly what the fee for an entire house is. I guess it depends on the size of the house or yeah. how dirty dirty it is. <laughs> but I think to clean the bathrooms, I want to say it was like $2 yeah. or something. You know, again, this is the, you know, 1940s, right? sure. mid-40s. And um, 
they were cleaning the bathroom bathrooms of this woman's house and and again uh, you know my aunts speak perfect english so i don't think there was a miscommunication but again i guess there could be could have been um so they clean you know they clean the the bathrooms they got their money um i don't know what the circumstances of about turning the money the two dollars over to my aunts but when they got home uh the woman called my grandfather and said they did not clean my house and so my grandfather asked my my aunts and his daughters um what happened? Why didn't you clean the house? And he said, well, for $2, we only cleaned the bathrooms. And he said, that doesn't matter. You need to return that money mm. because number one, it's hard enough to find work. Mm-hmm. Number two, we don't need anybody talking bad about our family. Mm. And number three, it's just the right thing to do. So the story that I hear was my aunts were like furious with my grandfather saying, there is no way we're cleaning a house for two dollars, right. you know, an entire house. Yeah, and he said, it "Doesn't matter, you know. You need to go walk back to that woman, uh, knock on her door, give her her money back, and apologize for the miscommunication because that's how this world works. You know, there's people who pay, people who do the service, and you need to just learn from that. And so, that was a story told to me when I was probably, probably a teenager, probably yeah. around their age." And I've always, I've remembered that forever, you know, and I will always remember that as that's how my grandfather was, you know, I would have acted the same way my aunts, you know, yeah. did because they're like, wait a second now, you know, don't make us to be the bad guy. And he's like, it doesn't matter who's the bad guy. Yeah. You know, it's um, perception. It's perception. You're it's, representing yes. your family, you're representing all of us. Representing the family, you're re- yeah. representing, you know, its principle. And, mm-hmm. um, and again, you know, probably unspoken rule was if you're in business cleaning people's homes or bathrooms, you need to be really clear. Mm-hmm. And if people take advantage of you, I'm not saying that she did, but if they do, that's your a, fault. It's a life lesson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a tremendous amount of integrity that sounds like was instilled in your entire family. Yeah. I think, I mean, my grandfather was, yeah, he was, he was kind of the dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I watched a video with, uh, Daniel day Kim, the, the yeah. actor He's mm-hmm. Korean, right? Yes. Um, and I heard him talking about the 442nd Infantry. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was fast, a fascinating story. Yeah. Um, that then you had mentioned later that same day, <laughs> and I read up on it, and yeah. it was it was pretty amazing how this yeah. what, was it a it was a battalion or an infantry made infantry, up com- yeah. completely of Japanese Americans. Yes, 100. And th- and that was World War Two or World War Two. Okay, yeah. So they turned out to be the most decorated? As I understand it, the most decorated uh, infantry in the history of the U.S. military uh, per soldier. You know, I mean, obviously, yeah. there's larger infantries yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, they – two of my uncles were in the 442nd. Um, yeah, I mean, it's – you know the fact that there hasn't been a movie made about it is kind of crazy. So, but, so were they? Were they? It was it an entirely Japanese Japanese American infantry because they it was segregated. It was segregated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wow. Yeah, so the military was segregated. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and they all spoke English, so it wasn't right. like there was a language issue. Right. But again, going back to that whole thing about Gaman is these draft age kids who whose parents and younger siblings were in camp. They felt like they had something to prove by enlisting, 
and fighting for the country, their country being, you know, the United States. Right. So, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Senator, you know, I sent you the article, Sen- Senator Daniel Inouye, you know, yes. he, you know, I mean, he was shot up and, you know, he, he lost the use of his arm and, you know, I mean, it. He was Hawaiian, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He came from Hawaii. Yeah. Um, but again, it's, it's, it was all part of that sort of, you know, when they came back as heroes, um, but they also, you know, it was, it was interesting. And this is, my uncle told me this story before he passed away was uh, he was in Dachau uh, freeing, liberating the Jews from concentration Your uncle camp. uncle was. My uncle did. Yeah. I mean, he and his, he and his part of the infantry were literally opening the gates. And, wow. and so uh, 60 Minutes, I believe, followed my uncle to Israel and they were just, I mean, he was feted, he and his surviving right. infantry mates uh, were feted as just you know, national heroes. This was the 442nd. Yeah. So they liberated uh, the Jews from Dachau mm-hmm. and then helped them relocate to Israel. Yeah. Is that how that happened? Yeah. Or I don't know if they helped them re- relocate, but they found their way back to Israel. Yeah. Okay. But my uncle laughed when he told me that story because- the Jews thought, well, wait a second, here are all these Japanese guys. They're going to come and kill us. Yeah, I bet there was a yeah. big trust issue. Yeah. It was yeah. sort of like, no, no, That's no, no. We're team. Americans. Yeah. Yeah. We're Americans. We're here to help you. Wow. So he said, you know, he said they didn't realize there would be that sort of like moment of like, well, who are you? Yeah. And he goes, oh, we're Americans. And, you know, a lot of the the Jews didn't trust. They're like, well, wait a second. How do we know you're really Americans? And I don't know exactly what happened, right. or what they had to do to prove it, but they had to. And then finally the trust and then they, they released them. So. Yeah, man. Isn't that crazy? It's fascinating. Yeah, it is. And, and I'm sure like, it seems like even the, even the, uh, the, the, uh, white, uh, world war two guys that you hear from don't like to talk about that stuff. So I'm sure, I'm sure that the, <laughs> the the four forty second didn't mm-hmm. really yeah go celebrate themselves or brag on that or even tell stories within the family on no, it. no 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 they didn't and you know and and I'm not saying the Japanese Americans you know have a monopoly in that sort of you know silent integrity because you know the you know Tom Brokaw wrote about them right the, yeah. the, the you know the greatest generation yeah. I mean right during World yeah. War Two those people just those because it was either they just didn't want to talk about it because it just wasn't what you did or it was because of the shock of what they'd seen mm. you know a lot of them just didn't want to talk about it right and uh and i respect that and again it's not just a cultural thing but i think it's also part of the military you know yeah. creed yeah yeah so kent you grew up in the bay area and at some point you as we know, made your way here to work in television but there's a lot in between that mm. i'm sure you went to college out there though didn't you yeah Where'd you go? I went to UC Berkeley. Okay. Uh, I was an English lit major, nice. thinking I was going to be a lawyer. Um, okay. And then I kind of did the Woody Allen school of, I don't want to go to any law school that's going to take me as, <laughs> yeah, <I like laughs> take that. Me yeah. as a student. Because <laughs> I was like, I, was, I mean, I struggled through school. and I did too. You know, it was like, I mean, I loved college. I loved everything about it, but- God, those classes just kicked my butt. Yeah, but you know, I did okay. I think I graduated with the B average or whatever. But, but it was a struggle, and yeah. I was like, "Am I looking at you know how many more years of law school?" Right. You know, so um, and the LSAT and all that right. stuff it just <laughs> yeah. sounds awful. It sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I mean, I worked all through college. I think I was one semester I didn't work, but 
I worked all through college. Um, and after I graduated, I was working for the first few months at the same place I was working for the last two years was a uh, international magazine store right next to campus. Okay. It sold, you know, French, Italian, German. I mean, you, you name a newspaper, it was sold there. And yeah. all the professors would come in. And so it was a really great place to work. Um, and my parents are looking at me like, this isn't why we sing <laughs> Berkeley for four years. So, You're like, I'm working in literature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm selling Jelly Bellies and uh, Der Spiegel magazine. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they said, well, you know, find something. Do you know? I, I said, I just want to take a year off before I you know, apply to law school. And so they said, fine. And I thought, you know what? I always wanted to see what TV was about. And so... I took an acting course, believe it or not, and you're a former actor, right? And and uh, there was a woman in the class who was a producer for the CBS affiliate in San Francisco. And she asked me how old I was, and I said, well, I just graduated from school. And she goes, oh, that's too bad because we're looking for interns. And I'm like, "What is? how do you qualify to be an intern? Define you know? intern. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what are you talking about? No. <laughs> 1941 intern? No. And so – um, she said, uh, you just have to be getting credits. So I re-enrolled in um, a state university, Hayward State, for one unit. And I called her back and I said, I re-enrolled in an independent study course. Can I become an intern? Oh, and she goes, it. yeah. She goes, do you have a professor's name? I said, yeah, you signed off on this. She goes, come on in. Did you ever go to the class or did you no, just get it? I didn't to, even turn in a paper. You just did it to get the internship? <laughs> yeah, I did just get the internship. I never met the professor. I just like <laughs> talked to him by phone. And uh, he's like, yeah, I just turned a paper in, in at the end of the semester. But, you know, it's like you get lost in the shuffle. Nobody's going to follow up. You know what I mean? It's like you pay your $60 for your one credit, you know. And um, so anyway, so that started. So, you know. Internship to part time, part time to full time. Had a CBS affiliate. CBS affiliate. That's yeah. just like a news station. Oh uh, yeah, but they had a programming department, so we okay. were doing sort of public affairs programs, okay. and we gotcha. did a kids show, um, and that was a, that was a lot of fun. And I was just sort of you know the PA. I I knew nothing. You know, I didn't know what end of the camera you know the yeah. lens was on. I this mean, this was in the eighties. Yes, okay. yes, in the eighties, and. Um, and then in the same building, it was crazy. This is before your time, but there was a nationally syndicated show called PM Magazine. And PM Magazine was syndicated in 140 markets mm. across the country. It was like, you know, Inside Edition or whatever, yeah. but it was wholesome, yeah. entertaining television, magazine style, you know, little four minute, five minute stories. And uh, they were in the same building. They were, the national office was being, uh, was located there. So I sort of worked my way down to, the, to them, became a writer associate producer and then um yeah and then from there i went to seattle worked on a talk show i mean i just i've sort of moved around i worked on a couple of talk shows one in dallas so you're in your 20s when you were yeah. at the cbs affiliate and then mm -hmm. uh worked your way up kind of and then and then what was your what was your job in seattle um i was one of the producers for a local talk show i just wanted to move to yeah. be honest with you i just wanted to get out of the bay area just felt like okay i've spent all this time and everybody's sort of scattered after college and I was the only one not scattering. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to Seattle. I've always thought Seattle would be great. I rented an apartment, sight unseen, um, moved in, was there for a year. The show got canceled mm. and uh, I was offered a job across town at another local talk show. This is when 
every affiliate had a local talk show uh, at you know four o'clock in the afternoon. Gotcha. And um, but I turned it down. I didn't. I didn't. You know, talk shows weren't really my thing. Were you digging Seattle? Did you like it? Loved Seattle. Yeah. I go. I go. I've probably been back there ten times since I left. I remember yeah. when my parents lived out there. You and I would have some Seattle chats. What was yeah. the name of it? Lake where they lit Lake uh, uh, the Lake part- Union. Um, no. Oh, maybe this is when they were in Oakland. They were in Oakland. Oh, Lake that, Merritt. Yeah, Lake Merritt. That's yeah, where they yeah, lived. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. Next, next to your former place where yes, you moved from Alameda. Right. Okay. Right. So, so you were in Seattle for how long? Just a year. Just a year. Okay. Yeah, fifteen months. Yeah. Still yeah. miss it. Oh, I still miss. I miss <laughs> the food. I miss just sort of. I miss the mountains being right there. I miss. The, I love cold weather. I love the fact. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that it rained. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I loved. I loved all that. I like. You know. As you. You know. You and I are fellow fishermen. Um, you know, you can hop on a boat and go fishing or just yeah. wade in the river. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. I remember my first time in the Pacific Northwest was in, I think it was in August. And uh, we were out there and the guy next to me on the plane was like, you ever been out to the to the PNW? I was like, no, first time. He's like, yeah. don't get tricked into moving here. Like this, <laughs> like, it, It's not like this all the time. It's <laughs> rainy most of the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they like to promote the rain because they don't want anyone to move there. But yeah, exactly. Secret, secret it might happen to, uh, what happened to Denver will happen to everywhere. If <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know. no, Portland. So where'd you go from? Uh, where'd you go from Seattle? You said. Well, yeah, from Seattle, I went to Sacramento. Okay. Uh, my old boss at PM Magazine in San Francisco had moved to Sacramento, and I was putting feelers out saying, "Hey, I'm I'm looking for a job," and he said, "Well, you know, we're starting up a." teen magazine show here in Sacramento. Okay. And, you know, we were looking for a producer to run the show. So he hired me in Sacramento. Um, and as fortune would have it, you know, one, one of the people that we hired was Lisa Ling. Oh, wow. Yeah. Who's on to CNN and big, much bigger things. Um, but she was 17 years old and we had auditions in a shopping mall for hosts. And, um, it was a she's lo- amazing. Yeah, she's amazing and continues to be a, a good friend of mine to this day. And she's just unbelievable. Um, and uh, so that show was on locally for, I think we worked on it for a year or two. And then a syndicator saw it and then he took it out nationally and it was in about 100 markets. Uh, so it wasn't Channel One News, was it? No, she did Channel One right after she went to college. Because uh, I, I had this conversation yeah. with Charlie Debevoise oh, because okay. Whittle Communications right. was involved in all that. So it's like Knoxville, all the, Tennessee. It's yeah. crazy, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of Whittle people here. Um, so you found Lisa, or you guys found Lisa Ling in yeah, Sacramento? In Sacramento, then she went off, to, uh, and then we uh, syndicated it nationally, and then she went to college. Um, and then she was looking for a letter of recommendation because she was going to apply to Channel One. Oh, wow. So she applied to Channel One. I wrote her a quick note. She put a resume tape together. Um, and then they offered me a job at Channel One. Really? Yeah. And I said, no, I said, because my heart was kind of in California and I'd, I'd have to move to New York. Right. And I was like, no, I, I think I'm good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and so then from Channel One, she went to CNN and just yeah. blew up. I mean, so they read Lisa okay. Ling's letter of recommendation and said, "Boy, this guy sounds qualified to work here too." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't try think, to hire him. Yeah, I don't think the jump art was too about ankle high. I think it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> they I think didn't if, know what it was going to be yet. Right, they didn't know what it was going to be yet. Yeah. Um, but they, I think they liked the fact that I knew how to work with kids. You know, yeah. and uh, um. Yeah, so she was in her early 20s. And then obviously after she got that, she did Oprah and she did The View. And she, I mean, she's, you know, 
was all over the place. Um, she's still making great stuff, man. Still doing great stuff. Investigative um, stuff is yep. her. She's just the best. Yep. I think. Yep. Yep. And, and it's been a few years, but I mean, we, we stay in touch via email uh, or even Facebook, but, uh, um, she's very outspoken, um, about, you know, what's going on in this country right now. Too. Is she? Yeah, very Good. much. And, um, you know, I mean, her being a high profile figure, right? She she's the target of a lot, and uh, yeah. So I bet yeah. reading the comments on her stuff can go can can be tough. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. and uh, but she's always been a person of integrity, and yes. and um, you know, we had lunch. Gosh, it was maybe been ten years ago, but we were in Santa Monica, and just she she hasn't changed a bit. Just really, the same person. Yeah. She looks the same. She, she <laughs> aged a bit. And I looked at her. I'm like, Are "You kidding me?" <laughs> she must be the salt air in Santa Monica. So, so where, where, uh, after that, where'd you go after Sac? Oh, uh, after Sacramento, I did um, uh, part time in Dallas. Uh, I shouldn't say part time; it was a full time job, but I didn't commit to it. I said I would do it for a few months. It mm-hmm. was a talk show again. Uh, in in Sacramento, I worked for a Belo station, and Dallas had one of the biggest. Belo stations in the country. What's that, Belo? Belo was uh, Belo Corporation. It was kind of like Scripps. Oh, gotcha. It was a station group. Okay. And um, uh, WFAA in Dallas, ABC at the time, was the biggest, one of the biggest affiliates in the country. And they just had this unbelievable talk show, but they had just let the executive producer go. So they hired me to do that. And I said, Dallas, you know, offense to anybody listening, Dallas wasn't really my cup of tea. I said, "But, but I would do it. Because I had a freelance business going in Sacramento, and I said I would do the Dallas thing until they found a full time, yeah. you know, or a permanent executive producer. That's so dangerous, I, especially if you do a good job. They'll just hang on to yeah, you. Yeah, so it was looking. crazy. It was three <laughs> three months led to six months, yeah. and finally I said, you know, I, I had a relationship. My girlfriend at the time was living in Sacramento, and I said, I I, mean, I literally was going back and forth almost every weekend. Um, and I, you know, Dallas was not home. Right. So, so I finally just put in my notice and left. But, yeah. Yeah. And then where? Oh, uh, then back to the Bay area. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was doing a lot of freelance work, uh, for discovery, HGTV, um, writing and producing, writing, and producing either directly with the network or getting hired by production companies who were looking for producers. Gotcha. Um, and then HGTV came calling and said, Hey, we like your work. Mm-hmm. You know, would you consider coming out to Knoxville? And so that was in 2001. So been yeah. here ever since. Been here ever since. 20 man. years now. Yeah. Wow, crazy. man. Yeah. What, yeah. what did you come here to work on? Just well, at the, at the network level, I guess. Yeah. Or? HGTV, uh, director of programming oversee, um, you know, developing new shows, yeah. new content. You know, this is before streaming, you know, it was yeah. just, it was just a regular and cable HGTV network. HGTV was kind of not in its infancy, but it was a toddler at the time, yeah. right? Oh, very much so. Yeah. yeah. DIY had just launched. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Got good memory. Um, DIY. And then uh, I was at HGTV for, gosh, what was it? About five years. Um, and then Fine Living moved from, there was another Scripps network, uh, moved from Los Angeles to Knoxville. Okay. They just sort of uprooted it. It wasn't doing well in LA. So they, you know, they said, can you help run it here? So I did that for a few years uh, on a shoestring budget. And then, yeah, uh, it was one that it feels like it never got a fair shake. You know, it didn't, it, it, it launched at the, well, I shouldn't say it launched. Yeah, I guess it did. It launched at the wrong time. It launched in 2008 in the middle of a recession Yeah, and a network called fine living 
Yeah, that's the last thing people want to hear about. <laughs> it's the last thing people yeah. want to hear about. So when it came to Knoxville a few years later, we were told to put whatever spin we could. Yeah. Perfume on a pig at that point. And yeah. um, it's called Fine Living Network. I mean, it's got to have this kind of um, aspirational yes. kind of feel to it just yeah. by na- by virtue of its name. Like, what do you do to that? Yeah, right. Exactly. It's almost like when they had Great American Country mm-hmm. and said, like, let's not make this about music anymore. Let's make <laughs> it about the great American country that we live in. And it's like, oh, that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. I mean, they ran into some branding issues. Yeah. And and, uh, and then when um, Food Network decided to expand to Food Network 2, um, or they, it was called Food Network 2 initially, and then it became the Cooking Network. Yeah. Um, they took um, our network and, you know, Fine Living and became Cooking Channel. Yeah. Gotcha. And so then they retained me on to DIY, and then... Um, they knew they had to put you somewhere. They couldn't yeah. just let you go, even though they dissolved <laughs> the network. <laughs> but, um, no, they were very fair to me. And um, what we did at Fine Living, this is a little bit inside baseball, but we did a lot of product integration and mm. we were the first scripts networks to do that. Gotcha. Is that and, like product placement within a show? Yes. Or, okay. Right. And and it wasn't so well. The big part of it was how do you do it without interfering with the message or the fun of the show? You, right. you don't want it to look like a commercial. Yeah. You know, if you know if Home Depot comes in, they want you to do everything Home Depot. Well, the viewers are going to reject that, right? Yeah. So people can smell a sales pitch from a mile away. Absolutely. So. We came up with a way to work with the sales department to integrate product or services within a TV show without mm-hmm. it, w- with it looking natural, is yeah. the best way to put it. Yeah. Um, and there were fights every day. Oh, I'm because, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Ford trucks want to, wants to come in. They want to see the Ford badging four times in a show. Well, yeah. no, you can't do that. Yeah. So you know? you're 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 pushing back against ad sales marketing. Yes. Trying to advocate for the content. Right. Make sure it doesn't become a commercial. Right. And then programming is like, well, who are you? No, this is church and state. We don't want any of that stuff. In. Right. So we had to. So we devised a way and really a a, a a protocol of and a system of making this work. And it wasn't easy. And because we were able to do that, they said, well, can you bring that over to DIY and HGTV? Wow. And so, um, Is this the start of like a branded entertainment mm-hmm. effort? Yeah, it really was. And then branded entertainment became, okay, Home Depot, if you're going to be part of the show, we would love for you to do some short form. And that became yeah. the branded entertainment side of. So explain that a little bit, the the short form part of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost like an extension of the show, mm-hmm. right? In that it's. Uh, informative and you're getting something from it. Yes. You don't really know you're being advertised to, right? Right, right. So, um, yeah, again, it's a little in the weeds, but if you can make it informative, it doesn't come out of commercial time. It comes out of programming time. So ah. so it's almost like a sponsored element within the show. Gotcha. And, and so the show's a minute shorter or whatever? Yeah, a minute or 30 seconds or whatever. Yeah, yeah whatever it is. Um, so you would do something like um, – I'm making this up, but it would be like, um, you know, three ways to clean your car. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you know, the three best ways to clean your car. So you're cleaning windows, you're cleaning this. You're cleaning, and, oh, by the way, they're using Windex. Yeah. You know, so, but you don't call it best ways to use Windex. Right. You're, right. So that becomes a commercial. So right. the other way, by, by putting content first, um, mm. the branding is just sort of organic. Yeah. Um, you're not saying you have to use Windex. 
and it almost feels like it's that brand Windex giving you something rather than asking you yes, to buy their product. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. There you go. You're pro- they're providing a service. So yeah, or va- yeah va- value, a some value, kind of value proposition. That's, that's a better way of putting it. Yeah. And so, um, so there are a lot of things you know behind the scenes that happen when it comes to selling a TV show because using Windex, you know, they can say we don't have millions of dollars to spend on a commercial. Um, flight, you know, to dedicate all this time to Windex ads. But if you can give us a little bit of your programming time, we'll do this branded short form. Wow. And so, so, so it's, it's more affordable for an advertiser. Very affordable. Wow. Yes. I didn't, I didn't expect yeah. that. I expected yeah. it to be more expensive for some reason. Again, it, and it all depends on who the advertiser is. Sometimes it's these advertisers who are hard to get and you're trying to get them into the fold, mm-hmm. you know, and so you kind of cut them a deal. Is that like a first date? Kind of it thing is kind of yeah, with an it, advertiser. It, it very much can be, or it could be a throw-in to a huge advertiser gotcha. like Home Depot, who says, "Hey, we would also like to be part of content." Gotcha. So it could work either way, but yeah. but you can imagine the the machinations of getting two departments who never talk to each other to yeah. actually work together, and that was our job. Yeah, it's it's yeah. amazing. You're you're like you said, church and state. Yeah, you, you know, you yeah. got to be Switzerland. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, before exactly before fine living. Ad sales and programming never really met on an official basis because yeah. they were told not to. Yeah, why would they? Why would they need to? Why you're, would they? You're need make, to? Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. making you're making the thing, and I'm and I'm trying to get out there and sell it. You're making the sausage. We're selling the sausage. Yeah. The two shouldn't meet. Right. You know. Um, but um, anyway, so it's a long way of saying that it took me a, f- a really far distance from anything creative. <laughs> ah. So, um, so then I left. In okay. what was it? 2013, 2014 is when I left. That's when you left Scripps. So yeah. that would have been before the acquisition by Discovery. Yes. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you've been out on your own again. Yeah. For, and I for love seven it. years. You do? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I'm, it um, <laughs> That's great. I mean, you know, you make a lot less money, you know, but not being a network executive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot less money. But you don't look back on the day and go, I was in five hours of meetings today. Yeah. You know, and that happened. That could have been emails. <laughs> that could have been an email. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So when people complain about Zooms, I'm like, you have no idea. Um, yeah. I mean, we got into, uh, yeah, the meetings were just out of control. And, yeah. and you know, I mean, they were, were they necessary? Probably not. But some of them ha- uh, absolutely were. But sometimes you didn't know if you were a fly on the wall or if you, you, you need to be you know, involved. Sure. But, um but no, I mean, I've, I've always, I got into television to be creative. Yeah. And so, um, and we all take jobs, especially if you're a freelancer that you kind of go, that's not really what I want to do, but yeah. it pays the bills and it has an end date and then you move on. And yeah. that to me is the fun part. Yep. You never quite know what's happening, um, around the corner. And, uh, so yeah, I've never looked back and, and everyone was like, well, why are you leaving? You know, you have a good job. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, are are you going somewhere? I'm like, I, I have no plan. I swear to God, I swear I'm, not, to God, I'm not leaving for I really job. am the stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I really have zero plan. And even HR was like, you know, you know, we, you know, we want you to stay, but you know, but if you have something better, I go, I really have nothing better. I really don't. They're I like, just, sure can't. Yeah. yeah. Right. I We've said, heard this story. Before. <laughs> exactly. But no. And, and, you know, and I stay in touch with a lot of people in that building uh, who are, who, you know, who remain there anyway. And, um, but no, it was, it was, it was great 13 years of my life. Yeah. It was, it was a fantastic company. Well, I think it's, 
it's amazing that you're kind of disproving that myth that if you if you if if you come to Knoxville, you work at this television conglomerate. Even you know, Discovery you could say is even bigger than Scripps was. I mean, it is as far as Wall Street's yeah. concerned. Yeah. Um, you know, and you go to this executive level level job, and you're living in Knoxville, Tennessee. You know, what comes next? If 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 I have to leave there, hmm. I have to move to get the same kind yeah. of job, right? But you're kind of disproving that a little bit to me. I mean, you're you stayed here, and you're still able because, and it sounds like in large part. Uh, to your connections that you had over over there that you made over 13 years and elsewhere that you've still been able to live here and work in television at a very, very high level. You didn't have to move to Atlanta. You didn't have to, you know, mm-hmm. relocate. And that's, right. that's something that a lot of people don't know uh, can, can happen. It can happen. You know, I, again, it, it's uh part of it is ignorance. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it, you know, there's nothing to motivate you more than waking up and realizing that, oh, the phone's not ringing, mm. you know? I mean, then you just start hustling, right? Yeah. I mean, you just hustle your butt off. You start making calls. Um, uh, you know, I, again, yeah, it's 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 one of the, if I'm disproving anything, I don't know, but but uh, part of me just says, you got to tr- stay true to yourself. Right. If you, you got in television to be creative and that still burns inside you, you, you kind of have to answer it, mm. you know? Um, and this is a great place to live. It is, you know, absolutely. And if it, if it wasn't the easiest thing in the world was just to go back home, yeah. you know, on the West coast, they still have friends. They still have business contacts there. You know, my cost of living would have gone up about 70%. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no doubt. So, or whatever. And, and so it would have been a tougher, tougher road. And, but, you know, but, you know, I'm single, I don't have, you know, I don't have family to haul around. Right. Um, so, you know, in some ways I, that would have been really easy to fly the coop and go, you know, I'm just sure. going to another city. I've always wanted to move to Alaska just because, Yeah. but, um, and I just never pulled that trigger, but nothing would have stopped me. Still nothing stopped me. Still, like, yeah, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, at zoom works everywhere now, right? Zoom works <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I have zero regrets about staying in Knoxville. It's, you know, if I lost everything in television, tomorrow and i kind of thought that was going to happen last year with the pandemic um i'd be fine you know i would you know i'd pick up and work in the restaurant industry or or do something you know we could go work for say at anaba i'll come with you there you go (laughs) yeah we'd be cleaning fish in the back yeah (laughs) well so i want to be respectful of your time and don't want to keep you too much longer but i want to uh I want to talk about what you're doing now too, um, because okay. you're still working on some stuff and uh, some pretty good stuff. I've I, I read about mm-hmm. everything you've kind of got in the hopper, um, but one of the things that we've worked on together, we've worked on a lot of stuff together recently. But uh, that little John sizzle yeah. that we shot down in Atlanta, oh my God, um, that that project is super cool. I talked to Charlie Debevoise about that mm-hmm. a little bit, good. And, and he mentioned that that was, yeah, you know. maybe going to happen and all that, but is there anything else? I know that stuff that you work on is a little bit, you got to kind of keep it close to the vest before it gets, before it gets out there. But is there anything you're excited about specifically or otherwise? Yeah. um, Yeah. There are things that are probably premature to talk about, but the little John, um, you you know, that, that pilot was greenlit, um, but we had to wait about four months for John to sign, really? and he signed. Um, he was so, a great dude to work with. Oh my god, right? Yeah, it's just 
Amazing. Brian Allen whipped his ass in Papa Shot in his basement. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, I have a feeling Brian's going to pay for that somewhere somewhere down the road with a big bottle of tequila or something. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, just real briefly, you know, that, that whole Lil John thing was a result of me reaching out to people that I, again, and, and Ben, I know you can relate to this. You just want to work with people you want to work with, right? And- Anitra Mekadon was a host of a show called Megadens when I was at DIY. Mm-hmm. And she and her husband, Adam, Adam's in the business as well. I just called them out of the blue. I had no idea what they're working on. I'm just, they're just good people. Mm-hmm. And I just called just to catch up. And literally, we're on the phone for maybe 45 minutes. And the last, as we're saying goodbye, she goes, oh, yeah, I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm, I'm working on Lil John's house, you know? I'm like, what? <laughs> She goes, oh, yeah, for about four years now, three or four years, I've been, he bought a house and I'm doing all his interior work. And I'm like, Lil John, the rapper? And she's like, yeah. She said, he watched DIY and loved my show. And he reached out to the network, said, how do I get a hold of this woman? Because <laughs> he found, you know, found out through the grapevine that she lived in Atlanta, where he lives. So I'm like, is this a show? You know, I'm like, this is too this is too weird. And, and, and again, HGTV, imagine them three or four years ago, or three years ago, two and a half years ago, um, a lot more conservative than they are now. Yeah, even, it's a discovery right? acquisition. They're right. Kind of all bets are off. All bets are off. Yeah. Um, they still obviously are rooted in home. But um, so we, you know, shot with Lil John and you shot with Lil John. And um, all of a sudden we got the green light. And But again, it, it, it really is a result of just having trust in relationships, you yeah. know, just going, Hey, I want to work with you somewhere down the road. And she's like, Oh, I'm so glad you reached out and let's stay in touch. And I mean, felt like no time had passed, even though five years or six years had passed. And all of a sudden now we're working again together. Yeah. So that's cool. It, it moves slowly sometimes. The, the yeah. wheels move slowly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but you know what? This the, the work that we do is, you know, people think it's the most glamorous thing in the world, but it's hard work. It's taxing on your brain, can be on your body, depending on yeah. what you're doing. And to your point, you know, if you're going to be working this hard, you're going to be going to be doing these long days. You got to do it with people you like. You got to spend time with people that you yep. enjoy spending time with. Yep. And those relationships, I think, are paramount to, you know, the work sometimes. You, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you show up and you know that, you know, you're working with somebody you don't want to work with, whether they're talent, whether it's crew, whether it's a publicist or an agent or whatever, it trickles down. It yeah. has that ripple effect on everyone. Yeah. And it does affect, right? Nobody wants to work looking over their back or trying to second guess somebody or, you know, having to deal with a personality issue. You know, I mean, we all have our quirks because we're all on television, yeah. but, you know, you use that to your advantage or your disadvantage, you know? And, and if you get people around you, you want to work with, it's only good things are going to come of it, you know? And, and you're, you know, you know, you're working on a new venture that we won't talk about yet, but, yeah. but yeah, but it was a result of you putting out your passion and taking advantage of relationships and them liking you enough to put your name out there Yeah, and look what happened. Right. So, yeah. Again, you know, three years of, of, of a passion though, yeah. for that, you know, finally right. coming right. to yeah. fruition too. And I think it's having trust and not knowing what the end game is. You mm-hmm. hope it's going to be this. But it may not, or it may yeah. not, it may be something different. It may not ever happen. But again, that's that's like anybody who 
paints on an easel. You don't know if you're going to sell it, right? Yeah, but you do exactly. it because you love it. Exactly. Yeah. That's the idea. Uh, I, 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 I do think that um, the Lil John thing was destined um, for success the second I ran over that coyote on, <laughs> on 75 North on the way home from Atlanta. I, 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 oh, my God. Yeah, that was like at 10 o'clock or whatever it was. Yeah. I have a confession that I, I think I was in such shock because I've never been in a car that actually hit a mammal, you know? <laughs> And put a big dent in the in the bumper you were driving. Yeah. And I was in the back seat, you know, hanging on to something so it wasn't going to fall over. And and all of a sudden, kaboom. And I think all four or five of us just swore at the same time. Like, yeah. You know, and you pulled over the side of the freeway, you know, on I-75, right? No, yeah. there's no lights. Right. Right. Yeah. Very remote part Very of I seventy five. Yeah, yeah. And I never, again, this is my confession. I never like checked back with you and said, "Are you okay?" Because you were the one driving. I can't imagine hitting something that of that size or or uh, you know. Yeah. I never checked back, so I apologize for not no. like saying, "Hey, you okay, man?" Because that must have rattled you. You you really just brushed it off. But well, you know, I'll that, say this, Kent, and I don't know when this happened in my life. But I've always, and I don't know why I can think about it this quickly, but when you're driving a vehicle and you have people in the car with you, there's no animal out there that is worth swerving mm-hmm. to miss to endanger the lives of four people Agreed. in the car. And I hate to say that. Yeah. Maybe that's a selfish human way of doing it. But in that split second, I saw him running across the street and I said, I can flip this van or, or I can just yeah. stay the course, and this yeah. is going to be ugly. Yeah. I was fine, yeah, because that's just, okay. Okay, yeah. but and you know, it's funny that you say that because I I think that you know we've all driven for you know most of our lives. You almost have to sort of predetermine that. I, I did, yeah, and I and I made the decision very quickly because right. it, it happened in less than a second. Yeah. I saw it. I, yeah. I saw it out. You of didn't the even break. There was no time. No, there wasn't. Even, there wasn't time to yeah. break. Yeah. yeah, I just heard the thunk. I mean, you know, there was no screeching of tires. It was just, kukum. yeah. <laughs> It yeah. was like, what was that? <laughs> yeah. People don't like coyotes anyway. You know, I'd, I'd have felt yeah. bad if it, you know. Yeah. Then it did did some hurt on <laughs> the van. It did, yeah. It yeah. A couple thousand dollars to get that fixed. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. I mean, the, I, maybe maybe the coyote was our uh, was our sort of sacrifice to the gods or something. I don't know. Who knows. If we have to make a, a, a false production company that's a union signatory or something to do this show, Coyote Productions. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Yeah. Did we miss anything, Kent? No, God, good, great questions. Uh, no, I mean, I really appreciate the the time um, and just your insight and, and your you know your willingness to speak about this. This is you know, I mean, we're we're friends, but you know, we don't spend spend a whole lot of time unless we're on the road together. Yeah. So, um, but uh, I mean, some of the best memories I have with you is you know elbow to elbow on a bar, yeah, and just talking and you know. <laughs> If you're not taking antacids, remember you were in Maine, you weren't feeling too well. Oh, yeah. I remember forgot that? about that. Yeah. And then yeah. you discovered Tums. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, these work. <laughs> these work. <laughs> Where are these men? It was during the toilet paper shortage of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of 2020. Uh, but no, thank you. I mean, this is, uh, again, you know, you know, change is, you know, is incremental, right? And um, we're not going to see as much change as I want to see in my lifetime, but that's not the point. The mm-hmm. point is it's a much larger discussion. And, and, you know, I, uh, I had the, the fortune of being in the, 
the presence of the Dalai Lama one time in, nice. in, in, Hawaii, in Hawaii. And um, he said something really profound. He said, um, people are always asking him, you know, the conflict between, you know, China and Buddhists and Tibet, you know, when, when is that going to be resolved? And if it doesn't get resolved before you pass, is that going to be disappointing? And he just, you know, he's kind of funny that way. He just laughed. He just goes, why is it on my timeline? You know, yeah. it's, this is, this is a struggle that's going to go way beyond, you know, when I'm in the afterlife. So we need to stop, you know, having those false expectations. And, and I think as it relates to what we talked about today, it's, as much as we want change, as much as we want equality, as much as we want discrimination to go away, those are false expectations. Mm. You know, all we can do is speak up, hope to have a seat at the table like today. Um, and that's it because just those moments are going to change things, but they're not going to change everyone. And, mm. and as long as we kind of understand and manage those expectations, we'll be, we'll be okay. So I like it. Well said. I think, um, I think awareness is, is, is the first step. Yeah. And compassion, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I'm, I grew up Buddhist and compassion is compassion and gratitude. Right. Yeah. I mean, compassion is probably one, two, and three as far as the Buddhist tenets. And if you have compassion, everything else falls into place. So, but thank you. I'm extremely grateful that you came by. I'm glad you're here. This is a Really great time. Thank you, Ken. Absolutely. Thank you, Ben. How'd we do, guys? I enjoyed that so much. I'm so happy that Kent came by. I'm so grateful that he did, and I'm so lucky that he did. Thanks for listening in. Check us out on Instagram, at South Scruffy. Hey, hit the subscribe button and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Hit the subscribe button. You'll get notified when new ones come out. Got another one coming out next Monday. Thanks a lot, guys. Take care. Thanks for your support. Pitchwire. Play me out.